Live from WNUR News, I'm Jessica Watts. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM slash HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's May 15, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, the Umbrella Arts Festival, an interview with the composer of the Backyardigan soundtrack, the return of the red-winged blackbird, and a history of restaurants in Norris. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Did someone say vegetable samosas? This past Saturday, ASPA hosted the third annual Umbrella Arts Festival, a celebration of Asian cultures. Erica Schmidt has the story. The sounds of the streets, the drums and the music, and the packed art booths, spray painting, and Asian cuisine filled Evanston's downtown Fountain Square this Saturday. Evanston's Asian, South Asian, Pacific Islander Americans, or ASPA, hosted their third annual Umbrella Arts Festival, featuring over 40 countries around the world. ASPA founder and festival organizer, Melissa Raymond Molitar, said there are many goals to hosting this event. The first is to raise awareness and engagement and participation in learning about different Asian cultures within our community. There are so few spaces and so few events and activities that center the Asian American community. And the result of that is that there are many people who identify as Asian American who don't actually feel like they belong in this community. One of the many booths included Sanog, Filipino-American artist of Greater Chicago. Geraldine Martinez-Benz is an artist that sold some of her pieces there. They're prints of my paintings, and they're mostly big paintings, like four by four feet, four by four feet, three feet by three feet, and it's made of acrylic on canvas. It's Filipino theme. I'm trying to do a Filipino theme with colorful clothes, their local clothes in the Philippines. Martinez-Benz said this was the group's second year attending the festival. And according to her, the day is beneficial to the community. I see a lot of more Asians come out during this festival, so it brings a lot of sense of community. And I get to see a lot of other Asians and Filipinos. I didn't even know there were a lot of Filipinos living here in Evanston until last year. Attendee Josh Lopez said that seeing the local art was a highlight of the festival for him. I think supporting local artists has been really, really fun. And also seeing how many like similarities and connections that we have. So I checked out uh, Sinag and even just their artists having so many things in common with them, but also just appreciating their art and the way that they tell their stories through their art has been really fascinating and really exciting. Lopez attended the festival with Selena Knopp who is new to the Chicagoland region. She said this festival was one way to acclimate to the area as an Asian American. I am trying to figure out the Asian community's footprint here, trying to figure out different avenues to get involved, and figure out like what groups are around. The festival featured several performances from Asian American groups featuring traditional Indonesian peacock dances to singers and poets. One of the performances was from Shoot Middle School's Asian Eagle Alliance president and founder of the club, Jane Diversiev. She performed her poem titled Made in China, a commentary on racism against Asian Americans. I'm an Asian girl without small eyes. I thought she was white when I first saw her. When I tell people that I'm Asian, their faces blanket with a mask and confusion, like they were right, but I am wrong. You don't have small eyes, so I couldn't tell. 
My skin isn't pale like other Asians, but just pale enough, but still not like other Asians. I'm not loud, I get good grades, and I do what I'm told. I follow others and do what is right. The Alliance also hosted a booth where community members could look at identity maps and work on writing prompts. Some of the prompts covered topics like racism and listing things you love about yourself. Diversity have said she was glad the club had a platform to spread their message. I think that these festivals are very important since they have to do with a lot of culture and tradition, especially with coming together with people of your community. I just feel like it's not shared enough. As the event ended with colorful lanterns taken home and several people full from vegetable samosas, not reflected on how the different cultures represented themselves. What are the traditions that people choose to carry with them as they educate the masses in a different country? What are they teaching people? What are they investing their time and resources in? And like, that's cool to see. Lopez said that while there were many cultures represented, like his own Filipino background and Nob's Cambodian background, there are cultures that aren't represented here today, and I just encourage other people to, to look what's out there. And there's a ton of festivals and a ton of activities out there in the city to take advantage of and learn something new. From WNUR News, I'm Erica Schmidt. Moving on to arts and entertainment. With summer around the corner, it's worth revisiting or rewatching a classic sunny season staple, The Backyardigans. Maria Jimena Aragon sits down to talk with Dougie Zellman, a musician and composer, perhaps best known for creating the Backyardigans soundtrack. Writing over 80 songs over the course of four seasons, Wieselman and I sat down to talk about his experience on the show, its newfound appreciation on social media, and how his collaborator and friend Evan Lurie offered an opportunity he couldn't refuse. Evan I met in the Lounge Lizards, as I mentioned, and uh, he had already been doing some children's TV stuff. He did this thing called Oswald the Octopus, or maybe it was just called Oswald, but I played on some of those sessions and he I think he responded to the way I was able to understand what he was doing so when he was offered backyardigans he knew it was going to be a lot of work so he asked me to help out and that's what it, that's we just started just start happening his the woman who uh was the creator is is an old friend of Evans Janice Burgess and she's an amazing woman her whole premise was just hire the best people you can and let them do what they do, you know. The animated show about five colorful animals with big imaginations captured the hearts of preschoolers back in 2004. Fast forward to today and those same kids are remixing and taking over social media with the bossa nova sound of castaways. Castaways, we are castaways. Ahoy there, ahoy, we are castaways. We're stuck where we are with no how. 
On May 13th, the song debuted at number one on the U.S. Spotify Viral 50 chart, all thanks to TikTok. So the song itself has over 23,000 videos with the song in the background. It's on TikTok and it aired in 2005. What does that mean, 23,000 videos? There's 23,000 videos with the song. I will show you. We were out at sea on a sailing ship. I was going to ask you, what were your thoughts? It's been like 16 years and there's so many videos with your, with your music. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's about time. No, (laughs) no. um, I have no idea. I mean, I just did it. I, we all, basically I wrote things that I liked, you know, I was not trying to, it was funny because we would, we'd get really, we got really into the production of these songs. I mean, we'd get into, we'd spend time mixing and like, we'd like nitpick and there'd be times we'd be really getting into it and Evan would go, you know, our audience is three years old. (laughs) But we had fun, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it. So maybe that comes out. There's a sense of joy to the doing of it. Why do you think this song is the one that's on the viral hits right now? I have no idea. Um, I mean, I studied per- Brazilian percussion. Like I studied samba when I first came to New York. I used to go to this uh, this basement samba class. We'd like play samba for, for three hours and you know, it's like a trance. But anyway, so I was familiar with the music and uh, why it's catching on now, I have no idea. But Bossa Nova, is, it's fun, sunny music. It's like, I think it's, Maybe because we've been going through so much through through so much darkness, and the kind of maybe the light's starting to shine now. It's maybe there's an appeal to it. It's very, it's soothing. It's nice. It's uh, fun, and it's groovy. <laughs> no. Yeah. Do you play? Do you play the songs every once in a while? Like you just. Yeah, like I something goes comes in my head, like or Evan will get something in his head, or I'll get something in my head, and we'll send each other like, you know, wow, wasn't that something? Or wow, what were we thinking? You know, like. Castaways isn't the only backyard again song trending. Into the Thick of It and Secret Agent are also getting their time in the spotlight. Well, I think that was, I think the idea also was to expose kids to real music, like to real, to things that they might not be exposed to. Like, you know, we did a lot of obscure stuff, like, you know, Beguine music from Martinique and like uh, a Rossini overtures. You know, it was like, it was all sort of, our jug band, we just, you know, it was like, maybe these kids didn't know this stuff if they're just listening to pop music or whatever they're fed. And it was like a way of exposing them to something that without hitting them over the head, just like, we just tried to make it as real as we, and fun as we could. Who is your favorite backyard again? Oh, my favorite? Mm-hmm. Oh God! I don't know. <laughs> I I didn't really. I don't have a favorite. 
Can I say that? I mean, I like them all. I think the unique one was the most open. So I think that I probably liked her most, maybe, because of her openness. The soundtrack of our childhood memories shapes us in unexpected ways. And whether it's the nostalgia or the creativity of people online, the Backyardigans have shown us the power of music, uniting us during these difficult times. That's like the great thing about getting older. You know, I grew up with like the Beatles and Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones, and I, I listened to those records, and I like sometimes I'll hear something I've never heard before back from from like over 50 years ago. And it's like, wow. Now that that's great that the kids are maybe discovering, you know, some other things about these, because we put a lot of work into these songs, you know. But I'll, I'll leave you with this. Sammy Davis Jr. says, you know it's a gas when the kids dig it. <laughs> For WNUR News, I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. With the start of spring, the red-winged blackbird has sparked the interest of NU students as they have inhabited campus. Amelia Donhauser has the story. Over the past couple of weeks, walking around campus, you may have noticed small blackbirds with red and yellow feathers. Many students have become acutely aware of these birds, even creating memes about them. So I texted my bird expert friend and asked him what type of birds they were. His response, Amelia, run. What are these birds and why have they suddenly appeared all across campus? Students share their knowledge and curiosity about these red-winged blackbirds. Peter Spory, a senior at Northwestern, has been an amateur bird enthusiast since he was 12. Spory grew up in London, and when he came to Northwestern in 2020, the red-winged blackbirds immediately sparked his interest. It was my freshman year, because I, 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 we don't have red-winged blackbirds back home, so it was kind of really, I was really excited to see, like, you know, new bird, and then all of a sudden it was just, like, so quickly it was, like, the bird that you see everywhere, which was so weird because in the previous months that was not the case. A red-winged blackbird is a small bird and the males typically have red wings with a yellow stripe. At Northwestern, they typically appear in the spring months. Spory says that although they look pretty when nesting, they become aggressive. They nest and around like early May, late April, they just start getting really aggressive because they're as, like, as territorial as they come. So. They, they spend all day just kind of sit, like shouting at anyone who walks past and then every now and again like dive bombing. What is dive bombing? Spory says it's how male red-winged birds protect their nests during the season. If you're getting really, really close to their nest, they'll kind of like swoop at you. And most of the time they won't actually hit you or anything, um, but they will, you know, the, it's just like their intimidation tactic. They start like getting like spreading out their wings and like shouting at you. Uh, and then they'll like kind of swoop at the top of your head just to let them know that, that you know that they're there and make sure you're still walking away. He also says that he has been victim to the wrath of the birds when walking on campus and warns students not to interact with them. They, they've, they've come at me before. Um, they, like, I used to, like, I, I used to kind of, I guess, walk under one of their nests on the way to, the, on the way to, uh, I think, like, I think on the way to North Campus or something like that. And so there used to be one that would just like dive at me pretty regularly outside Kellogg. Like, just be very careful that it's very easy to stress these, stress these birds out and they do kind of jump out at you sometimes. Um, eye contact actually helps with the birds. They won't really come after you that much if there's, if, 
you're kind of making eye contact. Anna Kovacs, a sophomore at NU, says she has never been a victim of the birds. She first saw them in the spring of last year. Probably last year, I noticed that they make nests along the bottom edge of one of the like buildings next to it, like one of the Beanin buildings. Um, but I guess I didn't notice them like flying around campus that much until like this spring, and then I started noticing that they were like everywhere. <clears throat> but they're really pretty, like the, the little red feather, it definitely like catches your eye. Spory says the nests are discreet on campus and are hidden unless you are looking for them. Sometimes they're on the ground because they like the kind of weeds around like the kind of mini Lake Michigan. Um, but then some of them will be like in things like lampposts. These days, Spory says he receives weekly texts from friends asking for more information about the birds. I love it when people send me pictures of birds and then ask me what it is. And I think like the last five or six of them have just just been male red-winged blackbirds. Even though Spory warns people to stay away from the birds, he wants you to appreciate the beauty of the species. They're like a really unique thing about this campus and that, you know, it's, it's like even though they sometimes kind of get, get in your way and shout at you, they're, they're really just gorgeous and it's something that's so unique about kind of the lakeville and where our campus is. Go out and bird watch, but beware, don't get too close. For WNUR News, I'm Amelia Donhauser. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.22 p.m. Central Time. The Norris food scene is no stranger to change. Buendia and 847 Burger replaced Patty Square this past year, and a new dining option will come to fill the vacancy left by Vietnam Nam. Their alterations are purposeful and plan to adapt Northwestern's food to better suit the students' wants. But how effective have these changes been? Michelle Huang has the story. You know the vacant spot that Vietnam Nam left? Yeah. Okay, what would you like to see come into that? I want to see some Asian food. I feel like they do not have any Asian food. <laughs> Norris, and the only thing they had was Vietnam Nam. I wish they brought like... I don't know, Chinese food, Korean food, anything. Either like a good, healthy smoothie thing, but if they're going to go unhealthy, maybe like, honestly, maybe like another Asian spot. Chipotle would be incredible. That would make me so happy. If I could go to a Chipotle on campus, I would go five times a week. I would pay for my friend's meal swipes. I would go, I would use every dining dollar I had at Chipotle. To be honest, like, ideal boba shop. But like, if not a boba shop... Rumors of various dining options have been floating around Northwestern's campus. These are in reaction to the space left by Vietnam Nam, and a new addition to the Norris University Center food scene seems likely. But today on WNUR News, our focus isn't what could be, it's what has been. Because before Wildcat Deli, there was Subway. Before Mod Pizza, there was a kiln. And before that, there was Sabaro. Since its groundbreaking in 1973, Northwestern Student Center has undergone numerous changes. The Norris we have now isn't version 2.0 or even 3.0. It's more like version Omega. Throughout that time, why and how have these changes occurred? Sometimes, like in the case of Vietnam Nam, economic reasons cause the restaurant to close. In those cases, the dining option leaves Norris, independent of any action from the school. 
However, according to Dan Foley, the assistant director of operations at Norris, more common is a general switch up of food options in Norris based on student demand. There's about a five to seven year shelf life, sometimes shorter for retail concepts in a, in a food hall style setting that we have down there. We try to refresh those somewhat frequently. Um, not, I mean, not too frequently to, so that it's always changing, but we want both consistency and to meet students where they're at. A big player in this process is Compass Group. Compass Group is the food company Northwestern contracted in 2018. The way that works is Compass is responsible for um, providing all of that food service, right? Um, whether it's MOD or what we have, you know, um, um, Starbucks or something like that. We work in partnership with them to determine what the best options are. Um, and that is all kind of developed based off of student feedback through surveys, various other things. This whole operation of refreshing and revising is what happened with Patty Squared. After about five years, Northwestern's partnership with Patty Squared ended. And in came Buendia and Burger 847. If you had never heard of Buendia or 847 Burger before they came to Northwestern, that's because both are concepts developed by Compass, which, Foley says, has its benefits. The one thing that's great about Compass is uh, if something doesn't work at, say, um, Burger 847 or at Buendia, they can change the menu. That's completely up to them. To Weinberg Jr. Ashland too, menu flexibility isn't really worth it, especially since she no longer has meal exchanges. If it was really good, and I think students really liked the food, then that's one thing. No, I feel like right now it's not. Like, the trade-off's not worth it. Because, like, after having no meal types, I don't hear of students, like, going to those places. But I hear of students buying Starbucks, Mod. And for Weinberg freshman Reese Hallaby, mainstream is the way to go. Overall, I think it's fine. I wish that they would replace a lot of those places with places that I like more that serve the same style of food, you know? I wish they'd replace Mod with a better pizza place. I wish they'd replace Buendia with Chipotle or a better Mexican place. Uh, and I wish they'd replace 847 Burger with Five Guys. In addition to various local restaurants, Norris has touted national chains like Jamba Juice, Subway, and Sabaro in the past. And to Northwestern students, these mainstream brands might actually be preferable. Nevertheless, Foley wants Northwestern students to know that more than anything, I rely on student feedback um, to determine what direction we want to nudge our partners in to, to see what we can do to better meet student needs. But despite Foley's and the university's efforts, Norris right now appears to be a distance away from what students truly want. For WNUR News, I'm Michelle Huang. Taking a look into the headlines, this year's Freshman Musical premiered this past weekend. Freshman Musical is Northwestern's annual theater show run entirely by members of the freshman class. The show this year was Alan Menken's Little Shop of Horrors. This year's production was directed by School of Communications freshman Phoebe Reicha and featured Lily Ramares and Raymond Faea as Audrey and Seymour. Northwestern's women's sports squads continued to impress. On Sunday, the lacrosse team won their second round matchup against Michigan 8-7. The Cats' number one ranked unit struggled early against the Wolverines, not taking a decisive lead until the fourth quarter. Now NU will face the Loyola Maryland Greyhounds on Thursday with a trip to the Final Four on the line. Brandon Johnson was sworn in as the 57th mayor of Chicago this morning at Credit Union 1 Arena at UIC. 
Johnson is already beginning his work as mayor as he signed his first four executive orders as mayor. These executive orders include boosting youth employment and establishing three different deputy mayors. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is John Ferrara, and our reporters are Erica Schmidt, Maria Jimena Aragon, Amelia Donhauser, and Michelle Huang. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Jessica Watts. Catch our next newscast on Wednesday, May 15th at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.